How many of you have ever been afraid of something, and then when you went through it, it turns out there was no reason for you to be afraid, and in fact, it was better than you ever expected it would be? My daughter, who is eight, has been tall enough to ride some of the big rides at Holiday World for a few years now, and she hasn't wanted to, and she always says, I just don't want to, but what that translates to is, I'm afraid to. Her brother, who is five this year, is now also tall enough to ride some of those roller coasters, and when we asked him, his response was, yeah, no hesitation, no, no doubt. That's just his personality. So because he was going to ride, his older sister, his big sister, decided she was going to ride too. She was following his lead and inspired by his courage. And so this year, she rode a couple of bigger rides that she had not had the courage to do so before. And you know what? She enjoyed it. She liked it. And now, when we go to Holiday World, she is picking out rides that she hasn't been on before that require you to be taller, and she wants to ride them. She's gone through the experience, realized that her fear was irrational, realized that there was fun on the other side of that experience. And it may be that in your life you've had moments like that. A job that you were extremely anxious about turns out to be great, and you enjoy it. A difficult conversation that you were putting off and putting off that you don't want to have, you have it and it goes smoother than you ever would have imagined it would go. Or you have this major transition in life and you have all of this anxiety about what it's going to be like on the other side, and once you go through it, it's better than you could have ever imagined. In John chapter 3, John points out that there is a fear that keeps people from coming to Jesus. And I hope that by the end of today's message, you will see that that fear is irrational. And that on the other side of that fear, that if you will push through it and come to Jesus, be near the light, that you will experience something far beyond what you could have ever imagined. It's better than you could even know. And so we're going to read verses 17 to 22, and I want you to look for the fear here in these verses of Scripture. John chapter 3 and verse 17. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation that light is come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Did you see the fear? It was in verse 20. Look back at verse 20. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, 
neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds should be reproved. Those that are in evil, they do not come to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved or rebuked. In the New American Standard Bible, in the little pamphlet booklets that we gave you that have the Gospel of John, the translation makes this even more clear. It says, does not come to the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. And what John is telling us here is that the reason that people don't come to Jesus, the reason that they don't come to the Lord, is they have this fear that in coming to the Lord, their sin is going to be exposed. Their sin is going to be made obvious. And this fear of being caught, this fear of being found out, causes us to have anxiety, causes us to be afraid that we are going to experience shame. And I want you just really quickly to see four reasons why that is an irrational fear. First of all, you need to see that that is a rational fear because condemnation is already upon us. This passage says, verse 17, Jesus came not into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Jesus did not walk into a neutral landscape where everyone was just okay. And then because he got here, he made some good and some bad. We were all lost. And when Jesus arrived, he arrived to save us from our condemnation. But we have this mentality that we are in trouble only when we get caught. Right? Only when somebody finds out. Then we're going to experience this shame. Then we're going to experience condemnation. This feeling is so strong in us that even when you're doing nothing wrong, when you pass a police officer, you slow down. You're like, oh, they caught me driving. Oh, no. (laughs) The the cop pulls out, and you're terrified. You're sweating bullets. You've done nothing wrong, but you're afraid that you're about to be found out. And God is not one who is sitting along the highway with his radar gun, seeing who he can catch. He's not looking for someone that he can catch in the act of sin. He already knows about it. He is not Barney Fife trying to figure out who the real criminals are. He already knows. And so your condemnation already stands. Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. He came not as your condemnation or your judge. He came to save you because you were condemned already. He already knows about your sin. He already knows about your junk. He doesn't have to catch you doing anything. Jesus did not come down here like we often go back to our kid's bedroom because it got quiet all of a sudden and we're trying to figure out what's going on. God did not come down here to figure out what's going on down here. He already knew. And he knew what was going on in your heart and life. He knows everything about you. He knows what your bank account looks like. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows what your marriage is like behind closed doors. He knows the conversations you had before you walked into the church. He knows about the thing in the car before you got here. He knows all of that. And so his arrival was not to bring condemnation. His arrival was to bring salvation. 
So for us to fear coming to Him because we will be condemned or because we will be shamed is irrational because we are already condemned. We're already in our sin. The second reason that this fear is irrational is that the light, and I love that in the New American Standard it, it capitalizes light because it's referring to Jesus. The light is not here to expose the darkness. The light is here to eradicate the darkness. We don't flip on the light to see how dark it is. We flip on the light to show the light. And the reason Jesus came was not to illuminate just how dark it is. He came to eradicate the darkness. And wherever the light is, the darkness will flee. The darkness is already there. The darkness is already here. You know this, don't you? You know the darkness of your own heart. You know the darkness of, of our culture. You know the darkness of our community. Jesus has arrived to eradicate that. And every time Jesus takes new ground in our lives, he eradicates the darkness that's in our hearts, that's in our community, that's in our culture. Now, I'll, I'll grant you that, that when this happens, it takes a while for our eyes to adjust. You know that feeling when, you know, you're just still kind of waking up and someone just heartlessly flips on the light before you have had a, time, had a moment to adjust? Um, it takes a minute for our lives to adjust. And when we come to Jesus and he begins to eradicate this darkness in us, he eradicates this sin in us, we, we start to realize, wow, I, I am in desperate need. I was far more lost in my sin than I ever realized. But it's happening because he's eradicating the darkness. Jesus did not come to do an investigation on your life. He came to eradicate the darkness. That is what the light does. The third reason that this is an irrational fear is that when we hate the light and love the darkness, we compound our guilt. That, that verse Verse 19, and this is the condemnation, that light came into the world and men loved darkness rather than light. He's saying the greater condemnation is that the light has been revealed to us and we said, no thank you. No thank you. I don't want the light in my life. I prefer the darkness. hear this, okay? You have as much light in your life as you want. You have as much light in your life as you want. You want more light? He will give it to you. God is not holding back. We're going to get to what John says here. John the Baptist says in a minute, he says he gives the Spirit without measure. He is not holding anything back. We have as much of Jesus as we want. There's nothing keeping us from a relationship with Jesus. Our issue is not that there is something restricting our access to God or our access to the truth or our access to Jesus. The issue is our own hearts and our own appetites. We love the dark. The reason there is so much darkness is because we love it. We enjoy it. We find it comfortable. We find it enjoyable. So we stay in it. We choose it. We prefer it. 
And in our context, right now, you and I have a greater opportunity to experience the light than any other nation at any other time in the world. And yet it is a dark time. It is a dark place. Why? Because we love the dark. And that is a great condemnation on us. It is not because we do not have access to the light. It's because we love the dark. We don't need to look anywhere else but in the mirror. Jesus has come so that we might have light. He has come that we might have life. He has come so that we might have grace. He has come and made that possible, but we love the darkness. We prefer to stay in the dark. We prefer to hold on to our secrets. We prefer not to confess our sins. We prefer to neglect our Bibles. We prefer to be spotty in our attendance. We prefer not to open up. We prefer the darkness. And we do not love the light. I'm going to ask you a question, and and before you answer it, I want you to to think honestly and find the right answer. You know the right answer in the sense of what is expected of you to say, but don't search for the right answer and what is expected. Search for the right answer and what is true. What is true? Do you love the Lord? Do you love the Lord? The Lord. I know that we're all here on church at church on Sunday morning, on Father's Day. It's summer. It's, the weather's beautiful. There's a whole. Sure, I love the Lord. No, do you love the Lord? Do you want to spend time with Him? Do you want to be with Him? Do you want the light in your life? If you love Him, you will seek the light. You will want the light. Do you love the Lord? He says the great condemnation is that the light has come to us. He has made the journey from heaven to earth to be here with us. And we do not experience him because we love the darkness. We love our sin. We love our ease. We love our comfort. We love our envy. We love our greed. We love our lust. And those things cannot dwell together. Do you love the Lord? Do you want Him in your life? Because you have as much of Him right now as you want of Him. The greater condemnation, the compounding condemnation, is that we love the darkness. And the fourth reason that this fear is irrational is the light doesn't show us our shame and our sin. The light shows us his glory. Verse, verse 19 is talking about those that love the darkness are going to stay in the darkness. They love the darkness because their deeds are evil. Verse 20 says, For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light, neither cometh to the light, lest his deeds... They're staying away from it. Verse 21. But he that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest, that they are wrought in God. And if you just give that a cursory reading, it sounds like to you like, okay, holy people like to be around God because it shows how holy they are. And that is not what it is saying. That their works might be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Why do I like to be with the Lord? 
Because the more I'm with the Lord, the more of His work is manifest in me. And when I am with God, and when I am in the light, I see more and more of His glory making deposits in my life and transforming my heart and transforming my desires and making me more like Him. Why do I like the light? Because when I'm in the light, it's less me and more Him. Because when I'm in the light... I see the work that He has come to do in me, in us. In the darkness, it's all me. In the darkness, it's all what I want. In the darkness, it's my desires and my lusts and my cravings. In the darkness, it's all my flesh. In the light, it is Him. See the works that are wrought of His hands. The work that He can do. And all around us, we have examples of the things that man can do. But in the light, we have examples of what it is that only God can do. Only He can bring about. The transformation and the change of heart that only He can accomplish. This is what Paul was speaking about in Romans 7, 18. Let me show you that on the screen. I know that in me, that is in my flesh, there is no good thing. Paul was super Christian, right? I mean, he was this church planner and pastor, and he wrote all of these books in the New Testament. And what did he say? He called himself the chief of sinners. He said, in me is no good thing. You know what he's saying? He's saying, any good in me is God in me. It's God in me. And anything that is noble in me, anything that is noble in us, that is the light working in us. How dare we get up and, and try to brag or boast about us? Because all that we provide, all that we create is darkness. He brings the light. Any good in me is God in me. It's God. It's Him doing it. So I've given you the first of two sermons, okay? There's this first one that talks about the light and the darkness. And then right after that, John gives us a practical illustration of what this looks like in somebody's life. So look with me at verse 22. After these things came Jesus and his disciples into the land of Judea. And what does, what does that next phrase say? And there he tarried with them and baptized. This is not my point. We're going to get to John the Baptist here in just a second. But Jesus just spent time with the disciples. He just spent time with them. What, what we will read in the Gospel of John, we could read this in the space of a couple of hours, but this took place over the course of years. And so in between these verses, in between verses 21 and 23, there is a great span of time where the disciples are just hanging out with Jesus. They're spending time with Him. How does this transformation happen in their life? They hung out with the light all the time. That's what they did. They tarried. When was the last time we tarried with the Lord? When was the last time we just hung out with God, that we just spent time in His presence? That's what we do with people that we love, right? Now, there are probably very few of you that you're going to go to work tomorrow on your day off or on Saturday on your day off just to hang out, right? I just love it here, and I'm going to tarry here for a while. 
But there are some people in your life that you enjoy just being with, just tarrying with. That's what the disciples and Jesus were doing. They were just, they were just being together. And this is setting up what's going to happen next. And Jesus and his disciples, they're baptizing in this area. And John the Baptist and his disciples are also baptizing. Skip down with me to verse 26. This is the disciples of John. They came unto John, John the Baptist, and they said unto him, Rabbi, he that was with you beyond the Jordan, to whom thou bearest witness, behold, the same baptizeth, and all men come unto him. I want you to see that phrase, all men come. That is, that is an exaggeration born out of frustration. You know what an exaggeration born out of frustration is, right? It's when you go, you always do that. Okay, I don't always do it, right? But that's that frustration. You always so there's a frustration. You always, they're all going to him. And John the Baptist's disciples, they were committed to John, and they loved John, and they wanted to see his ministry grow, and for there to be this ongoing legacy of their rabbi, their teacher. And so they're concerned about this. They're saying, hey, the, the guy that you pointed to, the guy that you bore witness to, more people are going to him than they're coming to us. Their church is getting bigger than our church. And John says, this is a good thing. And a really good summation of what John says to them in response is in verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. He must increase, but I must decrease. John wanted Jesus' name to go forth. John was not excited about Jesus because Jesus gave him validity or credibility or because Jesus made John popular or because Jesus made John a big name. John cared about Jesus because he was Jesus. And so when that meant that more people were following Jesus than were following John, John was good with that because that's what he wanted. It wasn't about John, it was about Jesus. Because it was about Jesus, John was comfortable with stepping back into the background so that Jesus could be in the forefront. He was not only okay with it, he was excited about it. You know what I realized recently? I cannot remember the last time I went to the ATM. I used to go to the ATM all the time because anytime I wanted to buy something, I needed cash, and all my cash was in my bank, and the ATM was a way I could get my cash out of my bank. But now... I'm no longer 16 and I have a debit card and I have all these apps that I can pay for things with and now it is very uncommon for me to have cash. And the cash that I do get comes from my wife. She gives it to me. I don't need to go to an ATM. I'd probably get in trouble if I went to an ATM. I'm kidding. I have no reason to go to an ATM. I no longer get what I need from it. I no longer get what I want from it. And if, if Jesus, if God, is just who we go to to get the things that we want or need, just who we come to when we're short, just who we come to when we need something, when he no longer is giving us what we want, we will walk away. And some of you have relationships with people like this, that they are around as long as you will give them what they want. They don't love you, they love what you give them. God is not your spiritual ATM. That's not what he was for John. Jesus was not just something where John could get what he wanted. John was committed to who Jesus is. It was all about Jesus. 
And in the following verses, John makes it very clear to his disciples why it's all about Jesus. First of all, it's all about Jesus because look who he is. Look at his credentials. Look at verse 31. He that cometh from above is above all. He that is of the earth is earthly and speaketh of the earth. He that cometh from heaven is above all. He goes, why would you want to listen to me when you can listen to the guy who just came from heaven? He's God's son. When Jesus is having his conversation with Nicodemus in the beginning of John chapter 3, he says, I wish I could speak to you of heavenly things, but we have to keep talking about these earthly things. Jesus is from heaven. His credentials show that we should listen to him. It should be all about him. Why should it be all about Jesus? Because what do we have to say without Jesus? Why would you want to hear from me when you can hear from Jesus? I'm I'm from Virginia. He's from heaven. He's above all because of his credentials. He's above all because of his experience. Verses 32 and 33 says, And what he hath seen and heard, that he testifieth. Jesus is giving us his firsthand account of God the Father, the things that he's experienced. He's passing it down from heaven to us. He's been there. He knows what he's talking about. John says, I can't can't come close to that. And he that receiveth his testimony has set to his seal that God is true. He's experienced it firsthand. He's seen it. He knows it. Then John says it's all about Jesus because of his power. Look at verses 34 and 35. For he whom God hath sent speaketh the words of God. Think about when God speaks. In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And there was light. Think about when God speaks, the power in God's words. Jesus was speaking not the words of a man, but the words of God. For God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. we got a double negative here. God giveth not the Spirit by measure unto him. He doesn't give the Jesus, he doesn't give the Spirit through Jesus in drops or in measures. Here's just a little bit. Gives it all. Without measure. John says, listen, I, I, I got a candle. He's got it's the sun. It's all about him because of power. And then lastly, it's all about him because of the impact. Let's skip down to verse 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not on the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. John says, he must increase because those who believe on him will have life. I must decrease. He must increase. And John the Baptist was speaking specifically about his earthly ministry. He was speaking specifically about the influence he had. He was speaking specifically about taking the the background so that Jesus could be in the foreground. But it's also a good example for us that the more of Jesus that is in our lives, the better. And the more we decrease the more he can increase. I've learned a lot about coffee ever since Pastor Eric came here. (laughs) One of the things that I learned is sometimes I would go to the coffee shop and I would order a medium or a large Americano. An Americano is a shot of espresso with water. 
And Eric looked at me and he said, you know, when you get the medium or the large, you're just paying for more water because there's one shot of espresso. So the bigger cup, it's the same amount of caffeine, and you're just paying for more water. So get the small. You still get the shot with some water. I'm afraid that many of us, we are all water. There's no power. We love the dark, not the light. We love the foreground, not the background. We want the preeminence, not his power. I must decrease so that he may increase. Less me, more him. Less me, more him. More light eradicate the darkness in me. In my heart, in my home, in our church, in our community. He's the one with the power. He has the words of life. He is the one that when we believe on Him, we are free from condemnation. More Him, less us. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer.